If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Philippians. And while you're turning, I was supposed to announce this last week, and um, I forgot it, even though he told me right before I got up here. I still forgot it. But today, I have this big bright pink note right here that uh, our secretary, Miss Tara, gave me, and so I posted it right there on my sermon notes where I wouldn't forget. But we, um, we are looking for some people that have a desire and somewhat of an ability to be able to teach children. Now again, I'm not saying this is going to be everybody. But we need somebody that is willing to sacrifice their time on Wednesday nights. And if we can get a few people, we'll rotate them. Uh, we've done that before and it has seemed to work very well. But if you want to serve the Lord in, in this church in some way, we need some people on Wednesday nights to teach children, specifically grades 1 through 6. And uh, we will provide you with everything that you need to be able to do that. But um, if, if you have a desire in you to serve and you feel like that's an area that, that you could serve at, then um, I would appreciate it. Now again, it's a sacrifice. I hope you understand that. Uh, listen, there's a lot of Wednesday nights that I'd like to be just like most other people. I'd like to just stay home on my couch. Uh, been a long day, uh, th a lot of stuff getting done. Uh, but for me, to live is Christ. And so... Where I, serve, where I am called to serve him at, I'm going to be there to serve him. And so if there is somebody that would be willing to make that sacrifice to say, this is a place that I can serve Christ at and I can get up off my lazy butt. <laughs> I'm going to call it like, can I be your pastor for a minute? Amen. I'm going to get up off my lazy butt and I'm actually going to come in and I'm going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if this is an area that you would, uh, that you would feel like you could serve the Lord here, we need you. So come and see me or Mr. Ken. Ken, raise your hand. He's right over there. Mr. Ken Thomas, you see either one of us and we will, we will uh, help determine how that's going to be put together and what that will look like and the part that you'll play in it. So I would appreciate your... Um, your attention to that and just getting back with us if you can. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to read verses 27 through 28. Just picking up right where we left off last week. Philippians chapter 1, we'll read verses 27 and 28 as we always do. If you have the means and you're able, I would ask you to stand to give reverence to the living and powerful Word of God. If you need to stay seated, please do so. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. You can be seated. And let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time. Father, we come to you this morning, and Lord, before we go any further, I want to thank you that, um, Lord, you put people in our midst to serve you in worship, to serve you in teaching, to serve you in, in preaching, or, or whatever 
area that you have called to, Father, I want to thank you for your servants, God. I want to thank you for servants that um, have a heart to stay true to your word and to just um, make sure that the, the songs that we sing just speak the truth about who you are and they teach us. And Father, I thank you for that. Father, I thank you this morning for um, your word. Lord, this is your word. Lord, it, is, it cannot be fleshly understood. Father, it's spiritually discerned. And unless you open our eyes and unless you give us ears to be able to hear it and a heart to be able to understand it, Father, we um, will be no different when we leave here than we were when we came in. So, Father, we come to you right now. We ask you that you would open our eyes, open our ears, and, and Father, just allow us to understand it and apply it to our life. And, Father, I just pray that when we leave here that we are different today. We think different, we talk different, we live different because of what you have taught us in your word. Father, you promise that your word will not return to you void. You will cause it to accomplish what you sent it out to do. And so, Father, we put our trust in that this morning. That whatever purpose you have in this word this morning, that, that you are going to accomplish it whether we see anything or not. Father, you will accomplish your, your purpose and we trust you in that. Father, we ask you that everything we say, everything we do will be glorifying to you and that you would help us to honor you as we preach this morning. Father, we ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. I would remind you that uh, last week when we, picked, when we left off that we were looking at Paul in his Roman incarceration where he's writing this letter to the Philippians from. <clears throat> And as Paul is incarcerated, he really has a desire to be able to get back to the, uh, to the Philippians and be able to see them. But he doesn't know for certain if he is going to be able to get back there. He has this strong feeling, and as you read it, you see this. He has this strong feeling that, that he's going to get to leave this prison and he's going to get to go back to them and that he's going to get to have more fruit for his labor here in this life. But at the same time, he also knows that to die is just gain. And so if he don't make it out of this prison and Caesar decides to kill him, then it's just, it's just that much more glorious because to depart and be with Christ is far better, according to Philippians chapter 1, a few previous verses from where we're at. But he don't know for certain. And so if he has to, if he has to write one thing to them to help them understand... This is the thing that I want you to focus on. Whether I get to come and see you or whether I'm absent, only make sure that your manner of life is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I would also remind you that living a life worthy of the gospel of Christ does not mean that you earn it, that you, um, that you actually live in such a way that you now deserve it because you will never be able to live in such a way that you deserve it. No, what you deserve is death. What you deserve is because you rebelled against your Creator, you deserve to be destroyed. That's what you deserve. But to live in a manner worthy of the gospel is to live a life that matches what the gospel represents, what the gospel has done for you in your life. And so we say and we believe that God has called us through the gospel to come out of our sin, as um, Chris read from Romans chapter 6 this morning, He has set us free from sin, opened our eyes so that we can see our sin condition, our rebellion against Him. See, 
Before you came to Christ, you lived your whole life not even realizing that you were in rebellion to God. Yes, you may have known that you'd done things that were not good, that you weren't always a good person, but you didn't realize that your entire life was in rebellion to God. That literally, instead of God being God in your life, you were God in your life. You said, I know better for me than my Creator knows. I will live for what makes me happy, for what I want to do. But then in the gospel, He opened our eyes to the fact that we are sinners against Him, that we have rebelled against His created purpose, that we have fell short of the glory of God which He created us to be. And in the gospel, He calls us out of this sin and darkness and He brings us into the light of Jesus Christ. So here's the gospel in a nutshell. Jesus comes, lives a perfect life of obedience because we fell short of it. So He satisfies God's created purpose in man. He comes and He gives His life for the sin and rebellion of mankind because the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life in who? Christ Jesus. And so Christ comes, He pays the price by giving His life, His perfect life that He lived on a cross. He sheds His blood, which is the payment for sin. And now God in the gospel says, for everyone who will confess that they are sinners, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and they will believe in their heart that God raised Him from the dead, they shall be saved. That is the gospel. And so the gospel says, I'm coming out of my sin and my rebellion against God and I'm walking in the same example and life that Christ Jesus gave me in, in obedience unto God. Now do we still fall short of that? Yes. That's why the perfect obedience of Christ has to be applied to you. And I hope I'm not getting too confusing this morning, but this is what God does. He takes the perfect life of Christ and He puts it on you as a sinner. And He says, now that's what I see when I look at you. And then He takes the sinful life that you have lived, the rebellious life that you have lived, and He places it on Christ, on the cross. And He says, now that has been paid for right there. And so when I look at you, I don't see the old sinful self anymore. I see the perfect obedience of Christ. That's what it means for you to be in Christ, literally, He looks at you and He sees Christ in a perfect life. And then He looks at Christ on the cross and He sees in Christ's death all of your sin and all of your rebellion against your Creator being paid for and atoned for right there. And so to live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ is a life that says, I am being delivered from darkness and my rebellion against God. And I am being brought into the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ. And that is what your life should demonstrate to the world. As we said last week, you'll remember that if it don't demonstrate this to the world, then basically you're preaching a false gospel to the world because when people look at you as a Christian, the gospel you say to them, if you're not living that life worthy of it, the gospel you preach to them is... I'm not saved from sin. I'm not set free. But instead, 
I am a Christian following Christ and yet still living in sin. Is that the gospel? No. And so you preach a false gospel to the world when you live in that manner. And so the gospel's true witness is at stake in the life that you live as a called born again Christian. And so it's important that you are living a life. And so Paul says only, notice your translation, he says only. Some of your translations may say whatever happens above all. The most important thing you can do as a Christian is to live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. But notice what them next two words are if you have the English Standard Translation. So that. Here's why you live a life worthy of the gospel. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, because remember, Paul don't know if he's going to get to come for sure or not, right? So he says, no matter what the will of God is in this, whether I get to come or whether I never see you again, I want to know that when I hear of you, notice what he says next, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So here's what you see in that. Paul is saying, if I can look at you and I hear from the testimony of others that the life that you live as Christians is worthy of the gospel of Christ. If you are living a life that, that demonstrates someone coming out of darkness and sin and rebellion against God and being brought into the obedience of Jesus Christ, if I can hear that you are living that kind of life, because let me ask you this, if I were to come to your work and I were to ask the people that work closest to you, the people that, that you supervise, or the people that you work side by side with, or the people that you teach, or, or whatever it is that you do as a profession. If I were to come to your job and say, hey, tell me about the Christ-like life that my member at this church lives, what would they say to me? Would they look back at me and they would say, let me tell you something, he's different or she's different. There's something different about them. They live a life that, that is always watching to be obedient unto Christ. Amen. And if, if that is what they would say, then yes, you can say you have been living a life that represents and demonstrates and is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If not, then you are one of the ones that we would look at you today and say, Hey guys, whatever else, above all, you need to be living a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if I hear that from them, then I will know that these next two things that I bring to your attention are true of you. Because the only way to live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ is if you are doing these two things right here. Let's see what they are. Read verse 27 with me one more time. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you. Some of your translations also say, and will know. So it's not just that I will hear of you, but that I will hear something. And because of what I hear, I will know something. And here's what he will know. That you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind. So that's the first thing. I will know that you are standing firm with one spirit 
and with one mind. All right, we're going to look at that here in just a minute. And then I will also know that you are striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So here's what I want to look at today. I want to answer this question. What does standing firm in one spirit with one mind and striving side by side for the faith of the gospel mean? What does that mean? Because if you are living a life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ, it is only because you are fulfilling these two things. You are standing firm in one spirit in one mind and you are striving side by side with others for the faith of the gospel. So let's answer this question by looking at the first thing of the goal. What is the goal of a life that is worthy of the gospel? What is the final goal? Well, what does the end of verse 27 say? Striving side by side for what? For the faith of what? For the faith of the gospel. Here is the ultimate goal. If you're going to live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is only going to happen because you have a goal to live for the faith of the gospel. So what is the faith of the gospel? Well, what is faith? The Bible tells us, according to Hebrews chapter 11, that faith is the full assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. And so ultimately, that means this. Faith means that you've been given a word, and you believe this word, and you trust this word, and because of this word, you have full assurance of the hope that this word gives. For instance, if my son over here, five years old, if he trusts me, and he believes me, and I look at him and I were to say to him, now I'm not telling you this, okay? I'm just using this as an example. If I were to look at him and say, Son, if you are good in church today and you're a good boy, I am going to buy you the biggest Batman toy that you can find at Walmart. If you could see the look on his face right now, you would know that right now his smile is this big. And if he believes me because of the word I just gave him, and he believes that what I say I will do, then does, he, does faith say, man, I sure hope daddy's telling the truth, but I don't know. Is that full assurance? Then that's not faith. Faith says, this five-year-old believes that if daddy said he's going to do something, guess what? Daddy's going to do it. And so faith says... I have full assurance. I have no doubt that the hope that daddy has just given me, it'll come to pass. Because daddy said it and daddy is going to do it. And so here's faith in your life. Faith is the full assurance of the hope that the word of God, your father, has given you. So the faith of the gospel is the full assurance of the hope that the gospel gives you. You don't cross your fingers and say, man, I just hope that he'll apply the righteousness of Christ to me. I don't know if he will. I hope that one day when I stand before God, then maybe 
the death of Christ will pay for my sins and I will inherit eternal life. No, you believe in all your heart that the wages of sin is death and Christ paid for it. And he told me when I put my faith and trust into it, if I do this, he's told me he'll do this, that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And I have full assurance that what Daddy said, Daddy will do. And so faith says, I am fully assured that whatever hope has been brought to me by this word, it'll come to pass. And it is the evidence of things not yet seen. So do I have the eternal life in my possession right now? No. I'm still living in this fleshly body. But faith is not the full assurance of hope based on the evidence of things that I see. Faith is the full assurance of hope based on the evidence of things not yet seen. Let me give you an example. What word did God tell Noah? You remember what word God got, uh, Noah got from God? He said, I'm going to flood and destroy the earth because of sin. But I'm going to do what for you? I'm going to save you and your family. So why did Noah build an ark? Did he build an ark because the rain started dropping and he started feeling sprinkles? No. Noah built an ark because he had full assurance of hope in things not yet seen. And so he knew that what God said, God will do it. And so Noah starts building the ark. He preaches and builds for 120 years. No rain for 120 years. And then after 120 years of him walking in full assurance of the promise of God, he gets on the ark and his family is saved. That's why Hebrews 11 says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned, moved with godly fear and prepared an ark for the saving of his household. He had full assurance of the hope. Are y'all tracking with me? Let me give you just a few more examples. Anybody remember Abraham and Sarah? What promise did the Word of God give to Abraham and Sarah? That they would have a promised child, right? But what was the problem with that? How old was Abraham and Sarah? How many hundred year olds do you know that have newborn babies? That's a problem, right? And yet the Bible says that Abraham and Sarah believed God. Did they just wait for that virgin birth? How did they conceive a child? Don't answer that. There's kids in the room. The, the point being, don't listen to Nick. The point being is that they had full assurance that what God promised, God would do, right? And so they moved because they trusted God and they did the impossible in order for God to perform the impossible. And so faith is the full assurance of things not yet seen. They had to wait for a little while before they, whether, before they saw whether or not God actually fulfilled this. But they weren't sitting there going, man, I hope we didn't do all this for nothing. <laughs> I hope we didn't just get, uh, you know, so. That's right. They had full assurance that what God had promised God would do. And so they had full assurance of hope based on the evidence of things not yet seen. And I could go on and on. Or I could just tell you to go read Hebrews chapter 11. And that's the, what the whole point of the chapter is about. This is faith. And by faith, uh, 
Abel did this, and by faith Noah did this, and by faith Abraham did this, and by faith Sarah did this, and by faith um, uh, David and Samson, and so on and so on and so on. By faith they did it because they had full assurance that what God had promised, God would do. And so what is the faith of the gospel? The faith of the gospel says that what God has promised me in the gospel, He will do it. Well, what has He promised? I'm taking you out of darkness and out of rebellion against me and I'm bringing into you light and obedience to me in Christ. The faith of the gospel lives that out. Not because you are living in perfect obedience with Christ yet. Remember, it's not based on things seen and held in possession right now. It's based on things not yet seen. And so you are still a sinner. You are still fighting your sin. But yet you are living out the faith of the gospel because you have full assurance that what God has promised, God will do. God will bring me out of sin and rebellion and God will bring me into eternal life in Christ Jesus. And He will do it. And so I live in such a way that matches that. But how do we accomplish this goal? Well... We do it by two things, as I told you before. Here's the first thing. Standing firm in one spirit with one mind. Paul looks at this church in Colossae and he says to them, if you are going to obtain a life worthy of the gospel of Christ, if you are going to walk in the faith of the gospel, the way that God has ordained for this to take place is for you to stand firm in one spirit and in one mind. Now in order for you to understand what Paul means when he says stand firm, I want to look at a few different scriptures. I was talking to one of our church members last night and he asked me a question. Very, very good question. He said, why is it that when we read the Bible and when we teach and preach that we have to go from this book to this book to this book to this book. He said, why didn't God just write it in such a way that whenever we read it, it just says it all right there in that one spot? And I said, well, you have to understand something. When God wrote to the Philippians through the Apostle Paul, He wrote to them so that He addressed what they needed currently in their faith. When he wrote to the Ephesians, he wrote to the Ephesians. When he wrote to the Colossians, he wrote to the Colossians. But now we have the privilege on the other side of it of looking back at every situation he addressed. And so when he says stand firm in the Philippians, we can also go back and see what he said about standing firm to the Colossians. And we can also go back and look and see what he said about standing firm to the Galatians or to the Ephesians. And now we have a way to encompass the entirety of whatever the subject is that we are studying. So let's look at a few of these things where Paul talked about standing firm. Go back with me to uh, hold your place in Philippians. Go to Galatians, the book right before Ephesians, so just a few books back. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. Try your best to find it in your Bible and keep up with me, all right? Um, if not, get it on a phone. Uh, f- some way that you can look at it and you can see it for yourself. And if you are on a phone, I'm, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Listen to this. For freedom Christ has set us free. 
So stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Go on to verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. So here's what he means when he says stand firm in Galatians. He means don't go backwards into the slavery of sin. Here he was referring to the fact that they wanted to go back into trying to follow the law to be okay with God. How many of you know that you will never live out the perfect obedience to God by following the law? This is the very reason the gospel saves you from that. The gospel of Christ says Jesus is the one that lived out the perfect obedience to the law and God takes that righteousness and applies it to you because of your faith. And so if you decide that now the way that I'm going to become right with God is I'm going to go back to keeping the law, then what you have done is you separated yourself from the gospel and you're going back into the slavery of sin because guess what? You can't keep the law. Anybody in here figured out yet that you can't live perfect obedience? I can't do it. No matter how hard I try, I cannot do it. And so my, my, my only option is to put my faith in Christ and trust that He has done it for me and then live a life that's worthy of that call so that now I'm fighting my sin and I'm trying to follow Him with everything in me. Y'all tracking with me? Alright. So, what does it mean to stand firm? It means to don't go backwards into slavery. Let me look at another place. 1 Thessalonians. That'll be right after Philippians and Colossians. First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3 through 8. <clears throat> Starting in verse 3 of First Thessalonians chapter 3, it says this, "...that no one be moved by these afflictions." For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could no longer bear it, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and he has brought us the good news of your faith and love, and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. And look at verse 8. For now we live if you are standing fast or standing firm in the Lord. This is the same word that he used whenever he used it in the Philippians. So here's the point. Don't let suffering and affliction in this life move you backwards from your faith and love in the Lord. But instead, you keep moving forward. So the first thing was, don't let the the slavery of sin move you backwards. Keep pursuing the faith of the gospel. Don't let the, um, the, the afflictions and the suffering of this world and the tempter to tempt you to move you backwards. But instead, keep pursuing the gospel. So the point is this. 
He wants you to not be moved out of the truth of the gospel. Why is that important here? If you look around today, I want you to notice that the church has been very rapidly moving away from the truth of the faith of the gospel. Today the church is more concerned about looking like the world so that we can attract more people to come in instead of preaching the truth of Jesus Christ. And so what we have today are religions that stand out there and they preach to you that sin is okay. God is okay with you continuing in your sin. Just come to church. God's okay with your homosexuality. Just come to church. God's okay with your adultery. Just come to church. God is okay with your lying and your stealing. Just come to church because we're all sinners here. Right? And so we're more concerned about making this church look like the world so that we can just get people in the church instead of understanding that it is only through the gospel that people are saved and they are delivered from the darkness of sin into the light of Christ. And so we have to stand firm in that truth. And then we not only stand stand firm in the truth of the gospel of Christ, but we stand firm in one mind and one spirit. What does that mean? It means there is a unity that He has called us to in order to stand firm, that we come together and we teach each other the truth of the gospel. And so we have been called to one body in Christ and we come in here together and we learn together and we study together and we hold each other accountable and we walk this faith of the gospel together. And as we do this together, we grow together into the faith of the gospel. But it's not going to happen unless we are standing firm in the truth of the gospel of Christ, not giving in to the pressure of the world, How do I know that this interpretation is correct? Well, go back with me to Philippians chapter 1. Notice what he said in verse 28. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. In other words, the reason why they they weren't maybe standing as firm as they should have is because they had opponents that were teaching another doctrine. What was it? Go with me to Philippians chapter 3. And you'll see. Philippians chapter 3 starting in verse 2. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glorify God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Here he had another example of the Jewish believers out here were trying to get people to go backwards into the way you're going to be right with God is be circumcised and follow the law of Moses. Alright? And now he steps up and he says, Guys, don't be conformed to the world. Stand firm in the truth of the gospel. And you do it in one mind and one spirit because you know the truth. And so... I say to you this morning, if you are going to walk in a worthy, a walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, 
If you are going to fulfill the goal of living a life of the faith of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you are going to do that, it is only going to happen by us standing firm on the truth of Christ's likeness. We're not okay with homosexuality. Now, am I telling you to go out here and bash sinners? No, I am not. No, I'm not. I'm telling you we are all sinners. That is a fact. I'm telling you that we love other people. I'm telling you that the way we love them is by preaching them the truth of the gospel. Repent or perish. Come out of your rebellion against God and your darkness of being your own God and turn to Him in Christ Jesus and follow Him or perish. That's your choice. And if you love somebody... I remember um, a, a few months ago I was watching a video a guy named Ray Comfort. He's an apolog apologetic. But he was going around and... Um, I may, I may have the details a little bit off, so don't, don't quote me on all this, but the gist of it is correct. He was talking to a famous person, a famous magician called uh, Penn. Penn and Teller, y'all ever heard of them? This the big guy, his name is Penn. He was, uh, and somebody was witnessing to him. It wasn't Ray, Ray was telling the story. Somebody was witnessing to Penn. And Penn is an atheist, and he's still an atheist today. But the gospel that he received was... We have been created for a purpose and a reason by a creator. I mean, just look around. There's no way you can say all of this popped up from nothing. And so we have been created for a purpose and a reason. But we have fell short of that in our sin and we have chosen to be our own God and we rebelled against Him. And unless we have that sin atoned for in Christ Jesus and His death pays the wages of this sin, we will perish for an eternity in a devil's hell. Penn, while he did not believe the gospel that was preached to him, he told Ray Comfort, or he told somebody, he said, you know, I'm thankful that this person loved me enough because if he really does believe that that gospel is true and he don't tell me, he don't love me, he hates me. And so it impressed him the fact that if a Christian really does believe the gospel that if we don't repent from our sin and turn to Christ, following Christ in obedience by faith, if we really believe that and we don't tell sinners, you don't love them. You don't love them. The truth of the matter is we think it's loving to just be accepting of everything, right? We think it's loving to just say it's okay, everybody's a sinner. We all fall short and leave it at that. That's not loving because if you leave them there, guess where, guess where they're headed? So what is loving? Loving says, I'm going to preach the true gospel. I'm going to stand firm in the truth of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to let the pressure of the world move me away from that. So I'm not telling you to go out here and bash sinners. No, I'm telling you, go out here and love them enough that you tell the truth, that you do care for them, that you do want to see them turn from the sin and their rebellion against God into a life of obedience in faith to Christ Jesus. And if you do that, that is standing firm in the truth, not being moved backwards into the slavery of sin, and we do it in one spirit and one mind, and we stand in the unity of this. So, let's go on to the second point. 
The second point right here comes from verse 27. He says, I want to hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind. So that's all one thing. Now we can try to break that apart. Some people say the one spirit is the Holy Spirit. I don't believe that's true. I believe literally what he means here is one spirit. One mind. That literally we are one in standing firm in the truth of Jesus Christ. And we do it together. So that's, that's, he's talking about the unity of the church. And then he moves on and he says, and striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. What does the word striving mean? What does it mean if you're striving with someone? Contending, wrestling. But in this case, it means, it comes from a Greek word that means to wrestle together for a common goal. That literally we are striving together, that we are contending together, that we are working together for a common goal. I want to go back with you to Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. You'll know that he's talking about the same thing in Ephesians chapter 4. Four that he's talking about in Philippians, the end of Philippians 1 and starting in chapter 2. But we're going to look at what he says to them there. Ephesians chapter 4 beginning in verse 1. If we have to stand firm in one spirit and one mind, that's not easy, is it? I mean, how many denominations and religions do we have in the world today as far as Christianity is concerned? Can't nobody look at me and tell me that standing firm in one spirit and one mind is easy. It's not. There are all kind of things that try to destroy that unity. But notice what Paul says in chapter 4 verse 1 of Ephesians. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, and here's what that looks like, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the what? The unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let's stop there for just a second. If you're going to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, worthy of the calling to which you have been called, it's going to be walking in the faith of the gospel, fully assured that God is delivering you out of darkness into eternal life and His light. And if you're going to live that life, unity is one thing that we got to have. We're not going to stand firm in the truth alone. Matter of fact, we're going to make our own truth. How many of you know that uh, there have been many times in your life that you have justified sin in your life? And you say, well, I do this because of this. And we, we can actually become our own God to the point that if we are not standing firm with other believers in one spirit and one mind, we will justify our sin and we will become our own God. I'm just telling you, I'll do that. Your pastor will do that. And you'll do it too. And so we need each other. But we will not stand firm in unity unless we have some qualities about us. The first of which is... Humility. What is humility? Humbleness. Putting others before yourself. Considering others' interests before your own. And if you not, don't think I'm interpreting this right, go back to Philippians chapter 2 and see what the entire chapter is about. 
Put others before yourself. Why is this? Because selfishness is one of the number one reasons why you and I can't stay together in unity. Because I'm right and you're wrong. Y'all with me? This is the reason why the churches can't stand firm in unity in one spirit and one mind because we're right and, and you're wrong. And so one of the first things, I'm not telling you to forsake truth. Some of this can't be helped because the truth is still the truth. Alright? But we are supposed to be standing together and holding each other accountable and working together and being one of the best ways we're going to maintain this unity is through humility. We're going to consider you before myself. And so when we sit down and we uh, study together and we teach... I'm not just up here demanding that I'm right and you're wrong. No, actually, I'm up here, and that's what I love about Sunday schools and Wednesday night uh, Bible studies is we sit there and we listen to each other and we rightly divide the word of truth until we come to what the truth of the Scripture is. And then we all agree together in one spirit and one mind. And so... Humility is something that you're going to have to put on. But you won't be humble unless you are gentle. And so you can go on. You, we put on humility and then Paul said, and also walk in gentleness. Gentleness means to have strength, but to not use it in a way that lords it over someone. So in other words, another translation of gentleness would be meekness. Now meek does not mean weak. Alright? Meek means that I have strength. I have knowledge, but I'm not up here demanding and lording it over you, but instead I'm gentle with it. And we teach and we train and we love. And when I have a truth to share with you, we do it in a way that is indeed, it's gentle. And so we apply gentleness to our humility. And then on top of the gentleness, we apply long-suffering. Because how many of you know that you're not going to maintain unity unless you are long-suffering? Because... Do you do everything right? Do you say every... Does every word that come out of your mouth come out right? Do you treat everybody exactly the way that you should treat them or they should be treated? No. And so if you're going to actually maintain this unity, you're going to have to have a long fuse, right? You're going to have to... to the opposite of long-suffering is to be short-suffering. In other words, you're like... You remember those little firecrackers that you used to be able to light... And if you didn't like them and get away within a millisecond, they're going to blow up on you, right? Y'all remember those? You don't want to be one of those. Because if that's the way you are, unity will not be maintained. And you won't stand firm in the truth. You'll be your own God. You'll walk your own path. And probably some people will follow you. And you may even have your own denomination one day. And so we have to have long-suffering and then on top of the long-suffering, Paul says, you need to bear with one another. What does it mean to bear? To hold up under someone's faults and failures, right? So it's not just about being long-suffering and not snapping right away, but it's about holding up under each other's faults and failures. And as we do that, he says, if we'll add, remember Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, or actually let's read verse 2 again. If we'll walk with all humility and gentleness, long-suffering and patience, bearing with one another in love, and then we'll add verse 3 to it. 
eager, eager to maintain the unity. In other words, there has to be an understanding in you that if I am going to reach the goal of living a worthy life and walking in the faith of the gospel, if I'm going to get there, I am only going to do it through the unity, through standing firm in one spirit and one mind with the body that Christ has put me in. And if I'm going to maintain this unity, there has to be an eagerness inside of me to maintain it. See, here's the problem. Most of us are not eager to maintain the unity. Most of us are eager to get away from each other. Most of us would rather just not spend any time with each other at all. Come on, somebody should have gave me an amen. Hello, lights, as Timmy Duke used to say. Hello, is anybody in here this morning? Most of us would just assume, feel like we're better off without you. Right? I mean, I'm better off in my Christian walk if I just stay at home and just me and God. Because me and God's all right by ourselves. Right? Wrong. God did not design this thing to be a Lone Ranger project. Faith is a community project. And He did it when He built the church to come together, to grow together, to minister to each other. You don't believe me? Let's stay in Ephesians chapter 4. Flip over with me to verse... Um, um, same chapter, verse 13. Or actually verse... Um, yeah, verse 13. Start at verse 11. I apologize. And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking what? The truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Do I have to break that apart piece by piece or can we at least agree here that what he's saying is, is that he put parts all throughout the body of Christ until we all attain to this unity of faith, until we reach the measure of the fullness of the stature of the Son of God, until we're no longer children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but we stand firm in one spirit, in one mind, in unity, working together to grow in the truth. And as each joint which it is supplied with does it share, the body grows itself in love. So again, here's the point. I've took the long way around, but I want you to understand this. If you are going to walk... Do you want to walk in a, in a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? You want that? See, that's the first thing. The first question is, is that even your goal in your life? 
Do you even wake up in the morning before you go to work saying, Lord, today I want to walk in a walk that is in a manner worthy of the gospel that you have called me to. If that's not your goal, then you're not going to be doing anything to strive to get there. The next thing, if that is your goal, the only way it happens is the way God designed it. And that's in a church. He designed it for us to make sure that we are standing firm in the truth of Jesus Christ. With one mind and one spirit. And then the last step, striving side by side. Why do I say striving and wrestling with? Because it's going to require humility on your part. And ain't that going to be some striving? It's going to require some gentleness on your part. And ain't that going to be some striving? It's going to require some long suffering on your part. And ain't that going to be some striving? It's going to require some bearing up under others' flaws and failures. And ain't that going to be some striving? And it's going to require that you have an eagerness inside of you to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And ain't that going to be some striving? And so I say to you again, here's what Paul is saying. He's saying the most important thing in your life is this. Walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does that look like? It looks like walking in the faith of the gospel. Fully assured that what God has said, He will do. He is going to bring me out of my sin and my rebellion and He is going to bring me into the eternal life of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to walk in a life that matches that value. And the way that I'm going to do it is I'm going to stand firm with one spirit and one mind in the unity of the church because faith is a community project. I cannot and I will not do it on my own. And then if I'm going to maintain this community project and this unity, it's going to be because I strive side by side. Did y'all catch that in Philippians chapter 1 verse 27? Paul said, striving side by side. Not you strive over there at your house and I'll strive over here at mine. We strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. And if those two things are present in our life, we are standing firm in the truth of Christ together in unity, teaching each other, holding each other accountable. And then we are striving with each other side by side. We will attain the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God, the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in closing, I ask you this question again. Because I don't want you to leave here the same. Listen, I ain't up here teaching from my health. <laughs> Maybe my spiritual health, but not my physical health. The truth of the matter is, I put so much stress in my life studying for this stuff right here that my, my physical health is steady more doing this while my, physical, my, while my spiritual health is doing this. I'm a, I'm a 40-year-old man, and I, I, but my health, come look at my medicine cabinet sometime. You wouldn't believe it. So I'm not up here just because 
I'm doing this because I, I just can't wait to stand up here and I love to just study all week long and I just love to... No. So I don't want you to walk out of here without the purpose being fulfilled. And the purpose is, is that the Word of God change you. So I hope when you leave here today that you leave here different than when you came in. So again, I close with this question. When you go to work tomorrow, when you go to school tomorrow, whenever you are with your families, are you walking in a manner that is worthy of the call of the gospel coming out of darkness into the light? Are you demonstrating that to the world? Is that your goal in life? And if you are not, then the answer for you is to come and be a part and stand firm together in one spirit and one mind where your growth takes place at. And so come and listen and learn and apply and then leave and walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ when you're out in the world. And don't quit being eager to maintain the unity. Listen, people are going to make you mad. Anybody ever made you mad at work? You're still working though, ain't you? You know how many people quit church because somebody made them mad? Listen, if you're going to maintain this unity, you're going to have to understand that occasionally there are going to be people that disagree with you. If you're going to walk in the midst of other Christians, occasionally somebody's going to hold you accountable. Occasionally they're going to point out something in your life that don't belong. And so you need to be eager to maintain this unity and humble yourself and be gentle and be long-suffering and bear up under people's flaws and failures and don't expect that everybody is... You hear people say all the time, well, I'm not going to church because that place is full of hypocrites. Amen. Amen. You're right. Full of hypocrites. I'm looking at a house full of them today. Full of them. But you know what? We're standing firm together in the truth. We're striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Because I don't want to be a hypocrite. Do you? I don't want to be. I want to walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's only going to happen as I stand firm in unity with you and I strive side by side with you until we all achieve this goal that Ephesians 4 said we're reaching for. And I pray that that's your mindset today. If y'all would stand this morning.